Hey guys, welcome back to the Mindful Podcast where we discuss mental health, personal development and spirituality. I'm your host Jared for this journey. Welcome back. So welcome back to the Mindful Podcast. Uh, today I have a very special guest, a mental health advocate by the name of Carissa Nana. I see your name, right? Yes, you got it correct. So welcome to the Mindful Podcast, Carissa. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having my me. my first guest on my podcast. I really you am never. happy. No, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. <laughs> so how, how, how have you been? In quarantine? Um, very quiet, actually. I've, I've not been having a bad quarantine. Contrary to a lot of people, I'm a very homebody person. Okay. So... Yeah, I love being home. I love seeing my dad come home early from work. I'm with my mom. My brother's home every day. Um, I, I, I low-key, in spite of what's happening, I, I kind mm-hmm. of enjoy having him around. Yeah, so it's not that bad. Not that bad. What about you? Um, quarantine has been, it has been a, a challenge for me because... Uh, another custom stayed home for long periods of time. So I was home for basically like about six weeks. Um, yeah. That really played uh, heavy on my mind because, you know, you, you couldn't, you can't really go anywhere. You have to stay home. You have, you know, you can't yeah. go to a restaurant. You can't go to Starbucks. Because sometimes yeah. when I, because of my job, I, I tend to change environments because it allows me to be a little more creative, you know, sometimes because sitting in the same place for long periods of time, it can yeah. get frustrating. So it um definitely and I think humans are such human uh such social beings as well. So I mm-hmm. think that lack of interacting just makes it so much more difficult, especially for extroverts like us who like to chat to everybody and talk with everybody. It's it's definitely um mm-hmm. a strain on your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, except for jail I always tell my mom I'm like some days I do feel a little frustrated I'm like I miss school mm-hmm. I know I, I think I would have been saying I miss going to school but I you know I miss seeing my friends in class and mm-hmm. you know just talking and interacting and like that human feel that touch you know you're laughing with them you hit them on the shoulder you're talking to your lecturer I, I, I don't know for me um, doing these Zoom classes have been a challenge as well mm-hmm. um because, you know, like when you're in school or you're in a particular setting, as you rightly said, like it, it stimulates your, like your creativity and like, you know, you're in a school environment. So you have to like learn. Mm-hmm. When I'm home and on a Zoom class, I am distracted by the dogs outside. Or I'm feeling shame because my mic on and they hear animals making the loudest of noise. Then the Wi-Fi would drop. Then I'm like sleeping away on the couch because like, I'm too comfortable with the class. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh no, I definitely miss going to class and interacting with my lecturers and my friends and everything. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a kind of downfall. It, it is, a, it is a, a learning curve because you now have to you know, mentally readjust yourself to being at home, not being able to leave your, your, yeah. your residence and you know having to pick up the same routine that you will obviously do on the outside. Yeah, the confines of your, your, you know, your your home. So I think yeah, that, I, that really played a, 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 mental, a serious games on my mind. Yeah, definitely. 
And I think the it, it happened so suddenly. So it wasn't like a gradual change in mindset. It was just that one day we're good, mm-hmm. next day there's COVID in Trinidad, and you have to change everything. You have to change how you go out. You have to put on masks and gloves. You have to be wary of how you where you're touching, um, how close you're standing to somebody. And I'm somebody who's very also physically interactive. So like if I'm talking to people, I always want to touch your shoulder or I will hit you a little, you know, a little nudge or a laugh and I'm very close to people. So I'm like, I have to always refrain from touching mm-hmm. or from hugging friends. It was such a, 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 a learning experience in that short space of time having to make a 180 with, you know, general activities. Mm-hmm. I think that was hard. Very, very difficult. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I know that this, they, they are saying that this is the new normal because until a vaccine is not produced, we have to remain social distancing, which I find the word social distancing is such a misleading word. Definitely. Yeah. If you think, about, you think about social media, you think about being, you know, interactive with people. Mm-hmm. So then to me, when I hear social distancing, it feels like you're isolating yourself in every way and form, not just physically, but more so like emotionally and mentally. Like you can't be around people and it feels mm-hmm. depressing. Correct, correct. So even when I was doing um, posts on my NGO, I tried not to use the word social distancing because I feel like it, it made people a little bit depressed hearing social yeah. distancing, you know. So I said physical distancing, guys, we're talking about that. It's just staying physically a distance away from a particular person or, or crowd, but it's not social distancing. You could still call and talk and, you know, do your normal verbal interactions, but at a physical distance, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I didn't like it. You said that you um, you have an NGO. What, what is, how you started the NGO and what, what, how, how you got into the NGO space then? Hmm. Well, I feel like I have to give you my little life story here. I'm not, I'm not going to be too long, don't worry. That's fine, that's <laughs> fine, that's fine. <laughs> so I actually, my degree is in psychology um, mm-hmm. with minors in gender and development and criminology. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked psychology from a young age, from probably the age of 15, um, for multiple reasons. When I started high school, um, you know, during those years of puberty, you know, your body is always changing. Mm-hmm. And I realized I was starting to get anxiety and, and depressive episodes where for long periods of time, I'll be really, really sad and very, very self-conscious about myself mm-hmm. in high school. I was very, I was very chubby. I was a very chubby girl in high school, very bad skin. Um, and, you know, there were students who would point it out, older students and stuff. So I, I became so extra cautious of myself to the point where I was depressing myself. Um, and then uh, I found out that I had PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome for a lot of people. A lot of women have it in Trinidad today, you probably heard about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's an uh, endocrine metabolic system, uh, endocrine metabolic syndrome mm-hmm. that really affects your metabolic rate, uh, it affects your skin, it affects your hormones, your ovaries, and uh, actually, a mental health as well. So, uh, people with PCOS are five times more likely to have anxiety and depression or schizophrenia. So, when I was diagnosed with PCOS, I kind of 
realized that it really affected the way that I would think about myself, the way that I would speak about myself, the way that I would act. Very, very timid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one aspect why I started to become interested in psychology because I really wanted to understand what, uh, what biologically or environmentally would affect the way that you think people act. Yeah. Uh, then I had a very bubbly personality. So the second aspect of that was that I was very, very friendly, very chatty. So people felt very comfortable just coming to me and venting their stories. Like I heard some of the most depressing things um, growing up in high school from people who were older than me, uh, students who were younger than me, who said, you know what, you seem very approachable. And I just, I feel frustrated and I just want to talk to you. And I would listen to people. So I realized that I, I it was probably a gift. I, I looked at it as a gift that people felt comfortable enough to say, you know what, I, I think she's approachable and I, I really want her. So I want somebody to listen to me and she seems like she's going to listen to me. So I looked at that aspect and said, you know what, probably psychology is the thing for me. Probably I can help mm-hmm. people um, in that aspect. Um, then, you know, seeing bullying in school as well and, and trying to really understand why kids will bully or, you know, why kids are allowed bullying to affect them in the way that it did. Um, that was also another aspect. And then I just liked people. I just liked to learn about uh, everybody's experience and and then i love to hear people from different walks of life so i felt like psychology was the way to go so i pursued psychology because of those aspects um when i started psychology because i thought it was amazing i was like oh my gosh yes we doing mental health this is like a big thing um this is at ue this is at ue yes so i started psychology in ue and i was kind of blown away or shocked because i in my mind, I felt like, you know, everybody was saying, yes, psychologists are needed. Uh, we need psychiatrists, we need counselors, you know, schools need it. And, you know, um, different administrations at the time were saying that, you know, they want to invest in mental health. So I thought it was an amazing idea. So I got into it and then I realized how starved mental, the mental health care in Trinidad was. Mm-hmm. Um, there was really little to no policies um, geared towards mental health care in any way and form. Um, even with insurance and stuff, you really just you can't get these things from mental health illnesses or, or mental ill health. Um, we had a lack of, of psychiatrists. We, we don't really have a lot of psychologists in Trinidad and Tobago, nor do we have um, the educational sphere to do um, anything in psychology besides one or two in the institutions that offered it. And UE at the time was offering clinical psychology, which I also wanted to get into in my master's. And USC was offering counseling psychology. Um, when I, I finished my degree and realizing that mental health in Trinidad really wasn't, it really was staffed, as I said, it really, it was neglected, very, very neglected. Um, you really cut the program. You really cut the clinical psychology program. So they only, have, they only offer applied psychology, which is looking at statistics, basically, that's it. Um, so then I went into USC, which I am currently doing my um, master's in counseling psychology with emphasis in school psychology. Um, 
And the reason why I went into school psychology is because I went to a PTA meeting with my mom to my brother's school. And they were talking about uh, students who, it was just like a random conversation with the school counselor. And she was talking about students who go through certain issues and why they would bully or, or why they would do certain things. And she raised the point that we had one one school psychologist um, for the St. Patrick district. So for all the high schools, we had one school psychologist who could visit a school probably once or twice a month um, to see about students. So imagine having one, one psychologist for thousands of students in the Southwest region. That really made no sense. I was shocked because so much people do psychology in UE, but then they kind of stunted at that point. You don't, you don't really have that, that means of, of doing anything further than that. And then you can't practice psychology without at least a master's because um, it's unethical. So you have a lot of people that are stuck with a degree that they can't further because of limited school resources here. Do you, do, you, um, do, you, do you think that they can't further it or they don't want to further it? So... I would go on a limb here and say that they can't because uh, a lot of my friends who were in my year mm-hmm. um, who did psychology, they were also so interested in doing the clinical psychology program mm-hmm. in UE. Um, and it was cut. Uh, you remember we're gate funded here. So it's, a, it's still a bit easier for students, very easy actually for a lot of us to pursue our dreams. Mm-hmm. One, um, you had to go away. It was just that you get a scholarship to go Canada because we have a good, I think we have a good exchange program with Canada, uh, which a lot of my friends couldn't afford. Nobody couldn't really afford to go to any country outside of Trinidad and Tobago to study. And then Barbados, they were doing counseling psychology, I think. Um, But it was like 90,000 plus US, which, yeah, Trinidadians really we didn't have we don't have it so they were just stuck thinking well you know I'm just going to do some administrative work until or you know I'm just going to look at something else for my masters and you know it kind of cut their dream short um, for me I didn't want to I was trying to find any way and form where I can continue psychology because it was something as I said that I liked from a very very young age Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily I found out about the counseling psychology program and it was still a way to pursue psychology in a master's level um, and it was giving me the opportunity to work with people which I like mm-hmm. so that was how I got into that whole mental health aspect now getting into this NGO is fairly new it's a new territory for me but it was something that I always wanted to do being in South and as I say, when, I, when you do psychology, you realize how much people don't know about mental health or how mm-hmm. much it's stigmatized, mm-hmm. um, especially in like rural areas. Um, I'm from South. For those of you who are from South, you would understand that we have some weird beliefs when it comes to mental health issues. So I said, you know what? I want to start a mental health organization, an NGO. And I really want to help break taboos and I really want to tackle uh, these stigmatized beliefs that we have in mental health, basically. And I wanted it to be um, 
I wanted it to focus on Trinidad. So you know a lot of the statistics we're always seeing from America or Britain or Canada, you never see Caribbean statistics or Trinidadian statistics. Um, and you do have, even though it's very limited, you do have like uh, the sixth joint select committee, they had a whole a whole hundred, no, four hundred page PDF report on mental health in Trinidad and Tobago. You have certain psychologists doing um, research in schools. Uh, you have the World Health Organization having some statistics based in Trinidad. So I really wanted, the information was there. I wanted it to be um, diffused into society so Trinidadians could really see what is happening, what is the statistics, what are the more prevalent mental health illnesses that we have, you know, who is affected, why are we affected? Um, so that was like a second thing. I really wanted it to be Trinidadian information. Mm-hmm. Um, and then today I wanted to look at more rural areas. So if you look at uh, a lot of these psychologists, they're always in the, they're always in the capital. They're always seeing Claire, uh, some parts of Port of Spain, or probably they're in the outskirts. So Tuna Puna, you have a lot of them. Um, probably going in the Diego Martin area. You have like the psychologists up there. But then when you come south, you have like one or two. You know, you have one or two of them in a big area. So I realized that a lot of the rural areas, we didn't really have psychologists, psychotherapists. We have, we have a few, but not as much as, you know, our capital. So I really wanted to have an organization that focused on rural areas to kind of bring that information to them and eventually bring my practice to South, where, you know, I think a lot of people could benefit from it. Um, I did a whole, um, a re- not a research, but a, a survey to look at the mental health uh, stigmas that we have or the beliefs. Um, and you would be surprised at the, the beliefs that people have based on mental illness. Uh, some people said that they were thought that children can't get a mental illness or if you study too much, you will go mad. Like that was one of them that I always even heard as a young child. Mm-hmm. If you study too much, you go crazy, mm-hmm. you know, which I also believe was probably um, autism that was not understood. So it was just blamed on studying too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people believe, and a lot of a lot of people believe that mental illnesses stem from your lack of faith in God, uh, which is something I. It's a very touchy topic in Trinidad, very very touchy. Um, while I, I mean personally, I, I believe in in spirituality and I believe in the concept of religion and I, I believe um, in God and and good vibes and these things. Um, I don't necessarily believe in attributing every single thing to a lack of faith in God. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would see a lot of people in rural areas, they would always say, well, you're not praying hard enough, that's why you're depressed. Or, you know, you, you have a lack of faith in God, that's why you have so much anxiety, and that's why you have schizophrenia or whatever the doctor says, you know. Just go and pray in the temple and you'll be okay. Which never really works because a lot of the times they don't realize that it's a biological reason why somebody could have a mental illness, right? It's never always societal or a belief. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's a chemical imbalance in the brain that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not their fault. That's, it's just, it's there. Mm-hmm. Or with, with, with schizophrenia, it's something that could actually pass down 
from generation to generation. That's a, a recent study showed that. So something you can inherit like a mental illness. So it's something that I really want to tackle in Trinidad, in South especially, mm-hmm. um, in, you know, so, so people could get the help that they need instead of having these really scary beliefs that, you know, yeah, you have a mental illness and you're crazy and you're going to kill people and you're going to go mad and trip off. Like, that's not the case, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Whole long story there. You feel like a... Well, I, I, the, when I was younger, um, yeah. I really was interested in doing psychology. Uh, uh-huh. And I was of two minds because... You know, sometimes lack of information can prevent you from doing something. So there wasn't a lot of information uh, to really kind of find out like how you do psychology, where you can do psychology. I, yeah. I, I know Costat was doing it at one point in time. I never really looked into UE. Um, yeah. So I, I just kind of bypassed it and I moved yeah. on with my life. And yeah. I have always been told that I am a very attentive person when it comes to listening. Uh, right. So, Definitely. You, know, you look to talk for like 20 minutes straight. <laughs> so, you know, I, I using that, that I would call it, I want to say it as a gift. I don't know what to call it. But using that, I, you know, um, I, I decided to, you know, take that opportunity to get myself into, you know, take the plunge and yeah. really try to learn about counseling psychology so you know i did the counseling course in ue which is a basic course yeah. it's nothing intensive it was intensive because obviously i i had no psychology background no counseling background so it wasn't it was a, a bit challenging um but from learning from doing that course i have learned so much about mental health i i and yeah. one of the things I've been specifically a man, I know that men tend to be a little more apprehensive when it relates to yeah. speaking about Definitely. mental health. And then when Definitely. society has kind of like stigmatized mental health, where um, mental yeah. health means that you're mad. Mental yeah. health, illness means that you're mad, which is not yeah. true. You know, everybody has some yeah. kind of, everybody has mental health. So they have good mental health and bad mental health. Exactly. That was something I was now going to allude to. I was like, we have this very interchangeable belief that mental health automatically means mental illness. So when you hear mental health, you think, oh God, somebody mad. But in fact, you're absolutely correct. Everybody has mental health. That's how you function. You have a brain. You have mental health. But like, like a physical health, you could get a broken bone. Mm-hmm. You could get a fever, you could get cancer. It's something that affects your physical health. So it's the same thing with mental health. When I try to explain to people, I'm like, we all have mental health, but we have illnesses that could affect your mental health. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're crazy. Yeah. Um, it just means that something is really affecting you, the way that you, you have an outlook in life. And yeah. it's, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed, you know, yeah. on carpet and saying, well, no, this is, this is not really, this is not something real. Um, it's really not going to solve the issue, I, especially I feel sorry for men um, because of this very masculine um, 
patriarchal, and, and I say that and everybody gets really scared. They think I'm this really crazy feminist, but we have this very patriarchal belief that we gender feelings. So women are feely, feely, you know, they're emotional and, and they have all these feelings and, you know, they're, they're delicate. But men are not supposed to have no sort of feeling. You're supposed to keep that inside. The moment you show that, you show it some tendency of being a, a, a girl or, you know, a, a sissy, or how, how, however they used to say it before, that, that's stigma. And if you really look at the Caribbean, um, Guyana has an 80%, 80% of their suicide rates are men. 80%, that is, um, that, that, that's crazy to me. Trinidad and Tobago, we have the third highest suicide rate in the region. We're actually higher than America and Canada. Yes. And I think that, that's, a, to me, that's an epidemic in itself because you have a lot of men and, and they, they were further dissecting it and they were looking even at the Indo-Caribbean men. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have this little funny stigma. We like to say men, the Indian, and I like to drink grandma's own. You know, we make those fun in social media, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. Um, but it's actually something a bit more serious that needs to be looked into because mm-hmm. you're having men resorting to things like drinking Gramazone or hanging themselves. And then you ask yourself, why? Why are they why are they seeing that as an option? You know, why are we not giving men that space to express themselves? Because now you have men just articulating feelings through anger. That's the only way they know because that's how we teach men to show feelings. Be angry. That's a man. A man is a, 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 a angry man. angry and control it. Yeah. That's the thing. So even if they're feeling hurt, if they feel, uh, and we see it in Trinidad with domestic violence or even um, men who oh, often kill their spouses and you're wondering why. Now, I'm not in no way saying that I am justifying hitting or, 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 or killing anybody. I'm just saying that to reach that level, for the most part, I think that men never really were given the tools to explore how they felt. So once they felt hurt, betrayed, angry, sad, uh, frustrated, confused, it, it just emerged through anger because that is the only outlet that they had. And then it just went into that whole violent um, issue where they, they always trying to injure their spouse mm-hmm. or their loved one. And I mean, it's something I think that we're not paying attention to. In Trinidad, you hear about it, everybody gets upset, they make a few Facebook posts, and then we go back to normal. Always. But and mean, it's something. Yeah. I, I think that men on the whole, and I speak because I speak personally and knowing that, mm-hmm. I think the problem with men and as it relates to mental health and being able to articulate how they feel is that one they don't there's no safe space really for them to you know move move the, the goal the, the goal post or the or the, the bar to so they can yeah. make a go to and say okay well this is how I feel um this is how because I am I, I'm a part of a, a group in England and yeah. there is a there is a men's group where they like you know they have like regular meetings and they talk about mental health, and I know right. that, that that is something that is is not really happening in Trinidad. Um, yeah. it, it happens more in a 
in a church aspect, meaning or religious aspect. So like various church religious sectors where may have men's group yeah. that may, yeah. may or may not have that aspect of it. But yeah. not everybody is a part of a church or a religious belief. So there That's must true. be some separation of you know, religion from mental health because obviously, it can't, you know, yes, it's, it's linked to some aspect, but yeah, a man should be able to go to a group or have a support system where he can go and talk about his feelings. I definitely you know. agree. And I think, I, I think we have so much scientific evidence backing up mental illnesses and, 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 um, showing that it's actually something. It's not just a belief. Mental illnesses happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in Trinidad and Tobago, what we need to start doing is um, having, we have to change the, the school dynamic, if you understand what I mean. I think we need to start um, addressing uh, mental health from a young age. You know, mm-hmm. make lessons catering younger kids growing up. So it, at different levels, you teach them about feelings. You teach both boys and girls about feelings, about, you know, how situations can affect how you feel and how you how you speak. You, you need to teach children how now to deal with, you know, unpleasant feelings and, and negative emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, Straight throughout, from I think from primary school straight into high school, that way you know you kind of be, they kind of become more cognizant of how they're feeling, what they're feeling, how they can address it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think even we always had religious education. I went to a Presbyterian high school, and they had you know religious instruction for form one and form two, and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I, I felt disappointed because. Yes, in some regard, I think religion is used as an agent to help you find peace for a lot of people. And, and that's okay. I, I, I definitely agree with that. I myself, I find peace in listening to hymns. I find peace in listening to bhajans because I'm a Hindu as well. Um, so it works for a lot of people. But I think we also need to have mental wellness classes where you have, firstly, we need more school psychologists. In schools, I think every school should be assigned a school psychologist, um, and or probably two. You don't need one. I think we need two because some schools have thousands of of students, especially those governmental schools. You have a lot of students that are just placed in there, um, uh, thousands, mm-hmm. um, and they also they come from uh, vulnerable households, and that's a whole story for itself. But not straying. Um, I think we really need to start uh, investing in different programs to teach students about mental health and to teach them about mental wellness and taking care um, of of themselves, both boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, straight until UE, I remember when I started UE and I, I would feel so stressed. And, and UE students have a, a horrible, or I should say toxic outlet, which is alcohol. Um, because they have such an overburdened um, psychology unit. You have so much students. Even prior to starting UE, you know, you have your own issues going on, and then you have UE stress on top of that. Yeah, and yeah. You, know, you don't really get that help. So the first thing they go to the Yeah, they go by the bar. You're feeling stressed about school? Come, let go for a drink. Let go for a beer. 
Yeah. Um, oh, God, I can't sleep. You're having something. Yeah? Let me take a two shot of uh, vodka. You might sleep away. It's it's something that you see and we laugh about and I say, wait, but I knew each other and could drink. But I'm like, yeah, that's, that's also an issue. That, and and I, I myself, I started to fall prey to using alcohol to sleep. Yeah. Because I would study the study dynamic of going to study from nine in the night to five in the morning. I don't know why I pick up that habit, but it it I did it. And then I did it for a semester straight. And I would live on two, three hours of sleep. And then the other semester after that, even up to now I battled insomnia because I, I trained my body in such a bad way um to study. I couldn't sleep. And then I'm like, you know what? Vodka might work. You know, somebody suggested, Chris, I take a shot of vodka, big shot of vodka. I'm like, all right, no, no problem. And I would drink the alcohol to sleep. So it became this little, I don't want to say addiction, but like a, a dependency. So I would drink a two shot. I would drink two beers, probably night when I'm tired and I just can't sleep. I mean, it became a habit. And I caught myself and I'm like, what are you doing, Chris? I, I, this is no, you don't want people giving you the stereotype that you're salt and you like to drink rum. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. No, that's not true. So, that. I don't think so. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I was here. Everything, you know, that's all. People could drink, boy. But I'm like, no, no, it's really, it's really an issue. Um, but going back to high schools, um, I think we really don't, I mean, we come a long way, yes, but I think we really don't understand the implications um, mm-hmm. of environmental factors yes. when it comes to yeah. mental health. Mental health yes. So we do this thing where after SEA, the children and them who ain't do good, mm-hmm. they just lump them into a governmental school. And, and, and I'm not saying that all students who go in there have some sort of issue. I, I'm saying that they are predisposed to a negative environment which really affects their studying mm-hmm. or really affects how they see themselves. So a lot of children who grew up in poverty, people in China don't notice what poverty is a trauma. Poverty affects your mental health. Poverty affects um, the way that you the way that you think it, it, it affects and frames your reality. You know, so you think, why does person hostile and why they behave in so good when you see the environment that they were growing up in? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they had to adapt that that rigid hostility to survive. Mm-hmm. Some of them come from toxic environments where their parents either are doing drugs or, you know, their parents are very abusive. And mm-hmm. then you know, they don't perform well in school. You lump them as well. Uh, students who come from single parent households where they're struggling. Um, you know, and they grow up a little bit tough. You, you, you throw them in there because sometimes, you know, the amount of work you hear some of them had to do before coming to school at a young age, you, you're wondering, like, what? Tie out the animal, go and, and get this by the shop or sell something with mommy and daddy before I go to school. You put them in a school because they didn't perform. And then now you have a whole school of children who, as I said, they came up from, from such toxic environments mm-hmm. and they grow up rigid and you put them or place them in a school. And then you have a section of the kids who are just, everybody's not academically inclined. And I think that does not measure your intelligence because intelligence to me is very dynamic. Yeah, you can it's be a, it's very, a holistic thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's very holistic. Like, I can be very good at reading, but tell me to do maths and I will cry. I still check it in my fingers, five plus four. Um, and some kids, they're just good. They're intelligent with mechanics, understanding how people work. So they're good with good work. And, you know, they, these kids, even though they might not necessarily come from a toxic environment, but they're just not academically the best. You put them in that same environment with all the, the children who have traumas, and then now everybody's in a tra- it's like a it's like a trauma soup. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. seeing kids fighting, you're seeing them acting out. They're beating other students. They're beating teachers. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing weapons. And I'm like, we need to tackle how how we teach children. We need to tackle their mental health and um. We need to do that by having, from a very young age and from primary schools, psychologists and psychiatrists at school. Because that's the only way. Teachers, I mean, yes, they have certain trainings now, but a teacher is not, is not qualified to really see if the student has any predisposed factors that may affect their mental health. That's, that's really hard for them. So they're just doing what they have to do, which is teach. Yeah. And then you have kids that are falling back and they're feeling more frustrated, they're frustrated home, they're frustrated in school. And it's something that needs to be tackled. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's just me, one person doing school psychology, but I really hope to see more people involved in that so we could have, you know, more psychologists in school. A reform of the education. Well, you know, from, you know, from what I think of the education system, that it was good while it lasted, I think that it really needs to be redesigned or um, the framework needs to be be done because you made a point just now where you say that um, persons may feel pressured because you're putting everybody on the same path. So everybody on the same path to, to, you know, but if a student or a child is assessed, um, yeah, you could now understand where his capabilities are, what are his shortcomings. Yeah. And then you could now put him in a, a, a class or, you know, a learning okay. learning area where he could, yeah. you know, better those shortcomings and, you know, come up to scratch with the other students who may be academically excelling yeah. better than him. So I think that is where, yeah. we, you know, and then some, sometimes, as you said, there may be students who may not, who may not want to be a doctor or lawyer they may want to be a, a mechanic. They may want to get into some form of trade. You know, and yep. being able to assess a student individually and not put that in a collective yeah. is something that you need to kind of like move away from because that puts yeah. a lot that puts a lot of stress on you as a student because that means, you know, I've heard people say that, okay, why am I learning maths? Because I'm not going to ever use this in life again. Why am I learning yeah. Um, P.O.B. or geography because I may never use this again and they are right they may never use geography again in life or they may never use P.O.B. in life or Spanish being able to really assess a child and make sure that maybe that person learns or excels academically based on their capability or their correct capability where they think that they may want to go down is something that the system really needs to reform too. Definitely. 
Because children, children, we, we, we look at children as all being, and I don't, it sounds funny when I make the analogy to animals, but we look at all students, like all of them are little monkeys learning to climb a tree. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Because some of them might be bears, some of them might be, which yes, could climb, but not as good as a monkey. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be fishes who just can't climb at all, but guess mm-hmm. what? They could swim real good, right? Correct. Some, <laughs> some of them might be snakes. They care on a race, but they could slither. Like mm-hmm. every, every child has their strengths and their weaknesses, and I think we need to kind of move away from this whole, if he's not a doctor, lawyer, engineer, um, or teacher, you're not good. You're, you're not bright. You're not smart. Um, which I think was a, a, a mentality from long ago that we still hold on to. A colonial mentality. Very colonial. And you're absolutely right when it comes to that. Because you had, um, I mean, back in the colonial days, yes, agriculture was a thing. But then, you, you know, you always wanted to be educated. You, always, you looked up at the white man, which, I mean, they kind of brainwashed us, right? Um, so, you know, you kind of looked at being educated in, in, in the arts and being educated in language and, and being a doctor. Like, that, that is what epitomized intelligence. And, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Status, mm-hmm. you know? So now, you know, yes, our grandparents had that same mentality. Go to school, get your education, become something good. Be, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be anything, you know, get that education. So we didn't want to look at the trade because the trade kind of make us down there in the status, in the status quo. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think now we kind of have to revisit how we look at society because then you realize now that society doesn't only run on doctors, lawyers, and teachers. No, 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 it doesn't. You need every aspect mm-hmm. of Trade in order for a society to run, and it's it's very stressful because I remember even when I was in high school, I was not I am not good at maths. I am I am the worst at maths, and my teacher at the time he's a a young man, and he would teach maths, and I would never I never understood, and he would embarrass you for not understanding. And I would sit there and I would always be so afraid to go to class because I didn't understand it. And then when you ask him, now he's picking on you to answer, but I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you're asking me a million and one questions and then you're just like, you give up. Like he would, he would show his favoritism to the students who were understanding. So I felt left behind and I felt angry. I was very, very angry. I, I, I hated maths with everything in me and I, I, I didn't care for it. And I think, if that was me, somebody who I would say fairly excelled in, in the academic sphere, mm-hmm. um, do you imagine for somebody who just didn't understand multiple subjects, how hard it must have been for them mm-hmm. to go into different classes and feel like they're being left behind and mm-hmm. feel like they're being quote-unquote done mm-hmm. or, you know, you're just you're not picking up or wrong to you. Like, that's how I felt that whole time. And that, that stuck with me. The way that he approached Max for me. It stuck with me straight until UE to the point where I thought I finished doing maths. Me and seeing maths again. Then they say, Chris, I have to do statistics. And I'm like, eh? I feel statistics two times. Two times because I still had that mind block from high school yeah. that I was going to pass 
I am very dunce. I am not good at math, and this just makes no sense. And I told my parents, I'm like, if I fail a third time, I am quitting. I am not. I'm not going to go back to UE if I I fail a third time. Luckily, I be a pass. I got like sixty or something. But but it took so much out of me to really tackle that. And I think a lot of young people when they go into high school, I, I think it also deals with the teaching um, style. Um, I'm 20. I'm going to be 25. And I, I think I'm fairly young. Um, so for me, I think teaching style started to change a little bit. But when I hear my parents talk about the way that their teachers would either beat you, scold you, or embarrass you, that is the same mentality all the teachers had in yeah. high school. Yeah. So always an embarrassment. If you don't know something, they would like embarrass you in front of everybody. They would always scold you. Um, they would always, you know, pick on you. And I think that that teaching style needs to change yeah. because it really affects your mental health as well, especially young kids growing up, especially young kids who are already predisposed to mental ill health. Um, it, it really needs. It, it really takes us a big societal change, you know to look at mental health from a very holistic perspective. Think about it. I think my, my, I, would, I would have to say my mantra is awareness comes with education. And Definitely. If you could be aware of something, if you're educated, if you're I could give a perfect example. You know, we, have, yeah. we all have to wear masks. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know why we're wearing masks. And the only way they could be aware of why we're wearing masks is if they're educated why we're wearing the mask. So, Definitely. Because obviously you could have the misconception of wearing a mask because the, the, the virus may be airborne, but the virus is not airborne. The mask is really right. to protect you from touching your face. Because yeah. you may touch hard surfaces and then you may obviously be the, the, the humanistic thing to do is to touch your face, touch, touch your nose, touch your eyes. It's really to prevent you because the, your nose and your, and your mouth supposedly are the high-risk areas that you could contract the virus. And I think that is, what, that is what, you know, taking that same concept and putting it into, into mental health. From, yeah. a, from, a, from a young age, you need to really look at children, really have a conversation with them and yeah. about mental health, how, you know, how, what is mental health? Um, yeah. Mental health and mental illness. How you, yeah, you know, how you can determine if you're 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 feeling sad, how to determine the different types of emotions that you may be going yeah. through, whether you're sad, depressed, um, you're suffering from anxiety. Because when I was when I started to suffer with anxiety, I always was hard work, you know. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and I was in my thirties. So me at my thirties, not thinking that it was hard. Uh-huh. Work, you know, if I was educated to, you know, looking for basically yeah. signs of what anxiety is, where it comes from, what, st- what, what it stems from, I could have made that decision yeah. and say, okay, well, definitely this is anxiety. I need to pay more attention yeah. to the environment that I'm in, the actions that I yeah. take, you know, activities that I'm involving. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I think awareness is brought to education. and Definitely. It could only really start if we start educating from a from the base level, the primary school level, the primary level, 
all the way yeah. up to the secondary and tertiary level about mental health because you, you, you spoke about yogi and that by itself or tertiary education that by itself is a very it's a very competitive environment i think yeah being competitive alone makes it puts that added pressure on you as a student because yeah. now you are competing with people because your parents make it competitive because you know they yeah. want you to be full second turn and then right it becomes competitive within the class itself because you want yeah. to be, you know, you want to be among the best. And then you have, yes. you have, you have lecturers, teachers, educators who are not trained to, to exactly properly teach in this case or to, to educate you. So they will educate based on a generalization style. So they will educate you based on how they learn to educate you from school, from books. And not learn yeah. how to really educate somebody based on their learning, whether they have learning disabilities or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that is important to look at as, you know, as, as, as a school system, as a society. You know, how could we get over, how could we overcome uh, mental illness, stress, yeah. anxiety within a school yeah. environment? Because we right. really do that is through education. Through education, definitely. And I think uh, it also requires a culture change. So we did, we touched so much on the school aspect, but we also failed to realize the home aspect where we have mm. people who just, with the older people who don't necessarily agree. That, that's, not, that's not the culture they grew up in. That's not the society they grew up in. So it's something that they don't believe. Yeah. Um, and I feel it is so necessary and important to have community outreach. It's definitely, definitely important to have community outreach. I think you need to go into different communities, you need to speak to the people, you need to, you know how they, they each community, them do flyers, do little flyers, put it in everybody's mailbox, something like that, you know. Yeah. Let people become aware of, of what mental health, mental illnesses are. You know, hold free events in different communities um, at a governmental level with mm-hmm. stakeholders. I think Trinidad and Tobago has a lot of mental health NGOs. You have the Autism Society, you have MIND, which is the South MIND TT, you have Not Okay TT, you have um, have Mental Wellness TT, we have Trinidad and Tobago Association of Psychologists. I think if we work together, like if you could get NGOs together, rather than having individual ones trying to work towards the same goal, bring them together, have them focus on different communities. I think yeah. you would get a wider range of of people getting support, well, yeah. support and education, as yeah. well as you know, ed, uh, making the community and, and the, the household aware, not just the school. Uh, because if it is that you can learn so much in school, and when you come home, it's a whole different environment, and you go back to square one. It's, it's such a pull on top, you know, and. I think even up to now, I think mental health and mental illness, it's such a, uh, it's such a stigmatized topic that's embedded in our culture that we just yeah. take, a, it's taking a long time to really change that outlook. And I feel like we're not, as a society, I don't want to say from an NGO level, but from, I want to say governmental level, but how much different years we were you know independent mm-hmm. we didn't really take it up enough mm-hmm. to you know fix our mental health care system i always ask um 
why do we still have one mental health hospital, mental illness hospital, which is uh, St. Anne's? Why do we only have one? Because it's overcrowded. It's, you know, you have shortage of, of it's, it's, you know, it's too, there's too much people. You, I think you need to have one. Yes, you have one there. Have one in South or Central. Have more than one, you know, where people can get a little more individual care, where you can have more people getting taken care of. Um, you need to also have more mental health hospitals throughout Trinidad and Tobago. Not hospitals, sorry, clinics, outpatient clinics. Um, and we also need to train people on how to address others in, in mental health, in the mental health arena. And I'll give you a, a perfect example of this. Um, there's someone in my area who was requiring psychiatric or psychological uh, help. They wanted counseling because of issues that they went through. Mm-hmm. And they're not, so they, obviously, you know, the, the, the Ministry of Health, I went onto their website, I saw that they have, you know, they have an outpatient clinic in San Fernando where you can walk in and you'll get counseling services. So I called because I wanted to find out. Um, I asked, and they, first of all, they had a very, uh, an attitude, and I don't want to bash anybody. I, I just, because I don't know what men, what headspace that they were in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, I was met with such a, a kind of, like, why are you calling me for attitude? Um, I asked, I explained the situation, the girl didn't know how to help me, which I think was strange because you're in a mental health clinic and you couldn't answer me a simple question as to what is the procedure to get counseling in the health clinic, which I think is a very basic question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she, she puts me on to somebody else. I explain the situation with the person. Then the person was like, so why that person need mental health? Mental health. So I'm like, I just explained the person went through two perfect experiences and they live in poverty. And, you know, from me doing psychology, I'm now doing it as a master's level, I'm understanding that this person really needs help, especially when they're asking for the help. Like they don't know what to do, they're asking for the help. And the way that she answered me with, well, why do I need help for? Um, We can't give help unless, you know, she's showing signs of psychiatric um, instability. Um, you need to carry her to get a, a referral letter. Maybe she'll have to come here. And I'm like, why are you speaking to me like this? Could you imagine if I was that person calling to get help? How would I feel? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much that needs to be done in our public health sector. Mm-hmm. Um, not just not just providing the institutions, but also providing the proper training on how you. Um, deal with people who are calling for help or people who would like information on um, psychiatric services or psychological services in Trinidad Tobago because to me, if it is that you're answering somebody who has a, a illness, a mental illness like that, then they're going to make, they're going to feel like they're burdening you. They're going to feel, they don't really know what's Correct. to call already. Correct. Correct. Because I, I, I had a, a friend, she was this whole stay at home quarantine. Um, yeah. she was going through some serious anxiety and right. her main reason why she didn't want to talk about it is she <sighs> felt that she was burdening her, 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 her boyfriend or, or close relatives and you know I had like to right. be like talk down from her say, like you know if first of all you need to talk to people that you trust and, and, and who are willing to listen to you 
Because not everybody yeah. can be a psychologist, a counselor, or yeah. somebody to listen to you. Because sometimes Definitely. people have their own problems. And Definitely. people who have problems don't really want to hear about your problems because that makes their pro- your problem their problem as well. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So, you know, th- that by itself, being able to find somebody who could really, um, you know, sit and listen to you and take the time to, you know, yeah. to not judge you because a lot of people judge you on, yes. you know, on your feelings. And from a male That's aspect, true. you know, you, I have, I honestly could say that are there in my male friends, I will say there are two male friends that I have that I can easily go to and, you know, if I do have some kind of emotional problem or some kind of mental mental illness problem, I could go to them and talk to them about it because I know that they will take the time to listen to me and not just be you know, because when I was younger, you know, you watch, uh, I have to use the correct word, uh, a socially displaced person, not a vagrant, but a socially yes. displaced person. Yes. You know, you, and you think they're mad, but what is mad? What, what mad, what exactly mad constitutes? What constitutes somebody being mad? Is it schizophrenia? Is it a nervous breakdown? What yeah. is mad? You know, and yeah. I think getting into the field, you know, I really could understand why we could really differentiate between schizophrenia, you know, between uh, bipolar um, disorder, disorder, any other yeah. mental illness that somebody has and not kind of generalize it as, hey, you're mad. That's also something I was thinking about when I was doing this survey for uh, the South Mind. Um, and people were making the statement that they were thought that children or if they study too hard that they were crazy, right? Yeah, they would yeah. go mad. And I'm thinking to myself, um, mad in retrospect is a deviation from a norm, right? It's something that it's unusual in your society or in your culture. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, and this is like speculated here, if you look at children who have autism, um, they deviate from the norm. Their, their social skills are different um, to what is, what is considered normal. Yeah. So when when people explain to me, when I ask them, like, so what do you mean when you say, when you study too much, you're mad? They say, well, your child real bright, eh? He real bright. He come out, he real good. He top everything in school. He real good at math. But he just, he don't know how to talk to people. He, he don't know how to, how to interact, you know? He's he just, just really lacking social skills, that's all. Yeah. And, he, and what, what I realize is that, oh, he's lacking social skills. It's not that he's mad or he studied until he went mad. But he really never had that, he never developed that social skill, which is, which is uh, a main thing in autism. Yeah. But again, as a society, we never understood what autism was. We didn't want to look, we didn't look at mental health and mental illness in that spectrum. So for a lot of people, the easiest thing to try to explain a deviation from the norm is to say, well, he real bright, but he mad. You know, it, it's so therefore study, you had to make him mad. Yeah. Um, only to realize now that you know uh, he may have had autism, so yeah. he lacked the social skills, but he's very good with with the academic side. Yeah. Um, and as I say, it's, it's such a a difficult thing to unlearn, but it, it's necessary to start, you know, the process of educating people in different in different spheres. 
yeah. whether it be school or in the community, you know, it, it needs to be done. Well, one of the things I, 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 which kind of, you know, it's good, but it's good in a, in a it needs to be better. Like when there is autism day. Yeah. Like, okay, that's fine as autism day or autism, what is it's day, right? Autism day. It's fine yeah. that it is autism day, but you need to really kind of educate people what is autism. Yeah, what is being autistic and what is autism. So yeah. people wearing different color socks, um, multicolored socks, that's fine because you're supporting a cause, but what is the cause? You know, you need to be able to. Uh, so I can understand of people who, who in the, the environment who is not privy to an autistic person could know what is autism, how it, how it, how it comes about, or, you know, what, what are the signs of autistic, so, you know, um, autistic. So all those things are important. So supporting a cause is one thing, but supporting and being educated about the causes to me is more important than supporting people. Because once you're educated, then you become, you know, your support is actually strong. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, that's the thing. Because the reason why we we make assumptions is because we're uneducated about it or we're ignorant to the to the facts. Um, but as I said, the we we have the information. Uh-huh. We are we we have the resources, but the resources are not being trickled down into society. Yeah. How do we get this information from the books and from the health centers and from the Ministry of Health? How do we get that to spread across society and to spread across the different communities? Because there has there, there's a blockage in some way where you know a few people know but it's not being related to anybody else. So I think really and truly the only way to go is through education and any in different ways and forms, whether, as I said, through school or through the community. And we have, as I said, a lot of NGOs really wanting to do um, that sort of, of work with, mm. you know, um, society. Uh, I think Trinidad, we have a lot of issues where, your mental health could be easily, you know, um, deteriorated. Mm-hmm. As I said, poverty is one of them. And and, and I, I also, I, I make a big deal about this on, on social media. Um, when recently I'm seeing people take pictures uh, of people receiving the hampers and stuff. And to tell you how very uh, unaware we are of how mental health is affected, um, you know, we're posting these pictures of children and of adults, you know, receiving help. And I made it very abundantly clear that you don't do that because these are vulnerable people. And they're not, not just because they quote unquote poor um, doesn't make them unaware of what's happening. So taking pictures of them um, and to post it on social media is not that they're unaware of what social media is. A majority of them know what Facebook is majority of them knows what Instagram is or what WhatsApp is. Um, and it really affects their mental health because they feel bad for receiving the help. Um, they, if you increase their depression and anxiety because now they know that they're being posted on social media, um, you're leaving them so exposed to being bullied because you're not helping somebody and you help this child. 
and the child goes back to school. But his face is plastered all over social media for receiving a hamper from an yeah, institution or a government. Ridicule, exactly. So it's I, I try to make it abundantly clear that you're also yes, you're helping somebody by by giving them their basic needs, but you have to understand that mental health needs need to be addressed with people who are at a vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. So if it is if you're in poverty, that's already a traumatic experience. Mm -hmm. You're adding to it by coming with this camera up on your face. You, could you pause? Could you could you take? Did you just smile for the camera? I'm like, no, you don't do that. But as I said, we are unaware of how those actions really affect mental health and how unethical that is. Um, so I try to raise that issue. So, you know, in the, so in the future, we could learn as a society, hey, let's be a little more cognizant of how this person feels. You know, let's not try to make it a worse situation when now they sit at home thinking, Hey boy, I had to be my, my dignity really had to be out in the streets for ten hundred people for four mm. vinyl and two cameras and a mic, you know, to really receive help. It's just really something too that we have to look into. So it's really a culture change. And for a lot of them I feel it might be a culture shock because we are so accustomed to being a little bit a little bit harsh and a little bit ruthless, you know, like we don't really we don't really take yeah, empathy, something that I think really needs to be taught in schools. Yeah, emotional. Uh, so, yeah, it's really, really. Have, have you ever have you decided to work with any other NGO or are, you, are there other any other NGOs that you see that you're willing to work with? Besides the, I know that there's the Trinidad Psychological Association. Um, uh, yeah, actually, I, I spoke to another NGO who is also doing great work with uh, video presentations. Um, and they were focusing on suicide and they were focusing on um, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is something that yes, a lot of Canadians may have been going through as well because a lot of things can trigger post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you know, seeing crime, being a witness to crime, or, or even being somebody who was affected directly by crime, being post-traumatic stress disorder, accidents, um, a really, really bad breakup where it was probably a toxic situation. Those, something as simple as that, you should say, could really cause somebody's mental health to deteriorate in a really bad way. Um, so I really wanted to work together with them. I, I'm looking at multiple organizations to come together. I think, you know, if you have one stick, it's easily broken, but that one just stick is very hard to break. Mm -hmm. I, I same way about organizations. I feel like if we all have our followings, but we bring all of them together, I think we make a bigger impact. So it's something I'm looking to do. I also want to do community outreach, especially in South, especially in Hyderabad and Pinal and I want to go see dress. Like I feel like these places have people but they don't have the resources and they don't have the knowledge to first understand what mental health and mental illnesses are. Secondly, acquire help or resources or to even know where what is where 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 to get the help, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that I want to do with my NGO as well. I always try to provide information. A lot of people will message and they'll be like, Hi, I saw your page. Do you provide like counseling services? And I, I, 
I feel so sad about it because I haven't finished my master's to start doing counseling sessions. Yeah. I'm always there to provide information right. on... But, but, but can't you not... Because I think one of the things that my... I would have to say facilitator, she taught us that you could still... You will be able to practice in the sense that you're learning so you could still have conversations with persons who may be mentally disturbed and I use the word disturbed um, yeah you could have conversations with them and you know because you know you may not be able to correct the issues that they have with them but you know because you you are on that path you're on that path to becoming a a mental health professional Um, right but I think some of the problems that we lack, regardless of whether it's uh, mental health psychology or any form of career, is that we lack the, the being able to train, being able to be guided, yeah. having a, a mentor. So being able yeah. to practice, because you know you're going to do a master's, you're going to do a, do a degree, but yeah. um, to go out in the working world, yeah, the first thing they'll tell you is that you have no experience. So, and that's it. Um, with doing my degree, mm. on we didn't have that that experience of doing practicum. Yeah. So I, yes, I have all the in theory, I have all the knowledge in the world about developmental psych, about abnormal psych, about personalities, like everything fine. But I I don't see myself really fully equipped just because I have theory information. Because yes, I you can tell me certain things, but I have to know how to how my physical appearance is. I can be doing certain faces if you say something particularly yeah. disturbing or right. like what I what is so important that I learned in psychology in counseling psychology is that you're not you're not an advisor you don't you don't listen to somebody to give advice and I Correct. think that's what a lot of a psychologist psychology is. is yeah somebody who gives you advice yeah. a psychologist is actually somebody who leads you or, or shows you the part okay that's yeah. the part you need to figure out if you yeah. need to Taxi to San Fernando, you want a taxi to go to Chabonas. You decide exactly. the best route for you. That's what, that's what it is. So even for me, before getting into counseling, I, I always prided myself in giving really good advice I see. to people. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but the thing is, it's not about advice. It's about listening to the person and providing, you know, information on all the different parts that you can take. Okay. And it's up to you now to know which path is best for you. And we always say that, at least this is how I learned it in, in counseling psychology so far, is that the individual is the, uh, is the driver or the leader of their own lives. Yeah. And I am just here to help you see different perspectives, to help you break down what, you, what you're really feeling and you just don't know how to put it into words. Mm-hmm. I am here to help you to see your full potential. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to tell you what to do. So that's something that I, I learned inside in, in counseling psychology, which I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. So I try not to take the chance with people's feelings, with people's mental health, um, with limited knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I I try to be unethical and unprofessional and, and, and get accused of neglect because I don't exactly know what I'm doing. Um, so I really want to make sure that I have the qualifications and I have the proper practical work so with this counseling program that we do we have to do practical work we have to be practical we have to be there so it's something that you know I'm, i can't wait to be exposed to to see how i would really handle a counseling situation 
Um, and I'm also super excited to, you know, go out there and help people. Because mm. <laughs> everybody's like, Chris, or what? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm really excited to, to get this knowledge out there as much as I can. Because I feel like it can have a domino effect. If I can help one person. Yeah, and it goes on the line of that. And I, I, I really wanted to be focused too on in rural parts of Trinidad. So we just don't leave them out. You know what I mean? I feel like salt a lot of times are left out of things. Um, I, I think one of, the, one of the problems that people have as well too, because mental health falls under health. And yes. health itself is, is, can be expensive. So people Definitely. who have to see a doctor may find it be costly. So they may yeah. think as well, going to see a psychologist or a counselor, it may be expensive. So so here's what, I can't afford to go and see a counselor. I can't want to go to see a psychologist or a doctor. I will right. stay in my personal space, my shell, and I will, you know, fight my own mental battles by myself. So being yeah. able to offer, as you say, an outreach program where the NGOs yeah. could now reach out to various communities and like, have conversations with persons who may be suffering with mental health uh, and you know bring it to their attention okay well you know make them feel like it, or make or show them that okay it, it, it's not about the cost you know we are yeah. here to help you um right. you know kind of break down that that barrier that all that mental barrier that persons have could really get yeah. a lot of people now coming out and speaking about their mental health because I think that by yeah. itself alone is a is a, a great hurdle. Yeah. And that's the thing, I feel like we have to look at it at different levels. So for me, I think as you rightly said, educate people. I think it's so important to educate people in the best way how they can have mental wellness. You know, mm. what what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? And what can I do? For myself to make me feel better and then we also have to have a good public and private mental health care sector mm-hmm. I, I i think it's it's quite it's disappointing when you know there is services there but the services are very i don't want to say halfway because mm-hmm. i'm not i don't want to trivialize the hard work of the psychologists and therapists out there but it, it's over they're either overworked or they they underpaid or something. But you know, we don't have the best mental health care in the public sector. Um so it is something that also needs to be addressed, whether it be that we need more psychologists, more therapists, more psychiatrists, more psychiatric nurses, whether or whether we need to update their training for the, you know, the staff. For your receptionist, for uh, administrative staff, you, you need to do that. Whether or not you need to update or provide more institutions for them to work with, so you know you break it down. So they don't have an overburden enough people coming into the system. Mm-hmm. I think that can be addressed as well. And I think we need more for those who could afford it, and more more private practice. I mean, we do have some, eh, but they are very, very expensive. Yeah, very, like, thousand. Like, I, I know one of them who, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm just talking about the range. It, it ranges from 200 to some psychologists taking a $1,000 a session. Um, 
Really and truly, not everybody could afford a thousand dollars. That by itself is a deterrent. Yeah, exactly. And uh, even a lot of people that message my my page, they're always asking. They're like, we can't afford it. Um, do you know of any places that will do it pro bono? Or um, if you know, I'm I'm kind of scared to go to the public health sector because you know there's always a bad experience, and you know how we could go in the public health sector here, but. You know, there's always this fear to try to get public health help. Sorry. Um, so it's people. I felt they feel stuck. They feel like, okay, I, I know I'm, I'm feeling something. I'm experiencing something, but I can't afford to go private. But public is very scary, and I, I don't know what to do. And then they would message, and I try to find my best. But really and truly, it's very, it's, it's, it's costly. It's costly. You're paying somebody who is a, a professional in the field. So it could be very very ex- expensive that's why i think we need to look at it from that that whole perspective of the public health care the private health care and then you know educating people in themselves so that they can best help themselves before yeah. having to go you know to seek outside help for what, what they're going through really yeah okay so this was a very very good conversation that we had very long. I told you I'm fucking tired. You're probably tired hearing my voice. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good that you know you can meet someone that you could you could have a conversation with that on, on you know talk about real issues that real people are suffering. Whether it be personal or where it could be on the workplace or in school, yeah. and be able to bring bring or highlight some issues that people may be facing. Because sometimes people that they are alone. A lot of people feel that they are alone in this battle of mental health. Yeah. Mental illness, sorry. I mean, mental illness. And Definitely. that feeling of being alone kind of really by itself draws down on your energy. But Definitely. Being able to have somebody who has a support system where you can now turn to, to, yeah. to talk to uh, whether it's a professional or just somebody who is willing to listen to you. Um, yeah. Because sometimes the, the, the person may not need a, a, well, not really advice or any kind of form of advice, but they just need somebody to yeah. just listen to them. And I think yeah, that's important. Yeah. Um, being, having, being able to have that support system of somebody that could just listen to you and just, yeah. you know, tell you that it's going to be all right. You know, because yeah, that happens sure. with all the person they need. Um, yeah. Because when I started my my um, my aware, well, my mental, my advocate, my my Instagram page. Um, right. The intention was really to educate persons on what mental health is and mental illnesses, because there was there there is a a, a, a mix up. Or mis- yeah. a misinterpretation. Yeah, misinterpretation of yeah. what 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 are what are the two of them? So being able yeah. to educate really was my uh, purpose to really yeah. help persons understand what is mental, what is depression, what is anxiety, what is being bipolar, what is autism, or being autistic, so that they could understand from the foundational aspect what are these different disabilities or mental health disabilities um, so yeah. they can you know learn about them uh, that's yeah. one main reason why I started 
you know, um, what I started doing. Uh, it, you know, that by itself, it has become, sometimes it could become tedious because um, it's another added pressure to life itself. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we have so many things that we are trying to accomplish. You know, in your, in your aspect, you're trying to do your master's, you're, you're juggling your NGO. And I'm sure other aspects of your life that, you know, could be heavy, yeah. your burden. You know, in my case, Definitely. working, um, studying, and, my, uh, you know, my yeah. other side business that I do, again, or added pressure. So, you know, sometimes as... As persons in the mental health arena, we also need downtime where we could just like you know press reset, be able to re-energize ourselves because you know yeah we don't want to reach the point where we at we're the end of the day we're human. Yeah, most importantly, we yeah. all humans. We all are humans, and you know there will be times that you may be tired. Yeah, we're all humans. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, and for those out there who are listening to the podcast, I, I think I'm going to do a little quick plug because I feel like they hear me talking about my NGO or they don't know what the name of the NGO yes, is. plug it. Um, Make sure put the, you know. The- <laughs> so, <laughs> so the name of my NGO is The South Mind TT. Yeah. Um, it's on Facebook and it's on Instagram. Okay. Um, you can go and like it like and share. share we have it, yeah. a lot of cool hashtags that we do. Uh, we have uh, my favorite by far is Factual Fridays, TT, where I share one fact about mental health or mental mm-hmm. illness or a mental health illness statistic in, in Trinidad and Tobago about Trinidad and Tobago. So if you want statistics and information about the most prevalent types of mental illnesses, the, the rate at which is affecting different sectors of our society, um, we look out for Factual Fridays, TT, on the South Mind. We also do wellness wednesdays where we give tips on how to take care of your mental health we do therapy tuesdays therapy tuesdays that's about um you know different types of mental illnesses that are prevalent in trinidad and tobago so we try to focus on what are the mental illnesses that are really affecting trinidad and tobago what is the difference between psychologists and a psychiatrist as a therapist a psychotherapist because everybody always asking first how is it different um, and then we do affirmations. We do, um, you know, little cool um, graphics, I should say, um, about mental illnesses and mental health in Trinidad and Tobago. So we do that. So I would really like, um, I work really hard <laughs> on the content and I actually do a lot of research. So I, I try to ensure that everything is accurate. Yeah, um, it's and incredible as much as possible. So it's the South Mind TT. That's my, so, my pages. That's my South Mind TT on Instagram and South Mind TT on Facebook as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so guys, guys, yeah. you hear that? South Mind TT Facebook, South Mind TT Instagram. So if you're, you're in need of understanding more about mental health or, or information on what mental health issues that we have in Trinidad, you go to South Mind TT. And hit Carissa up, yes. and she'll be ready, able, and willing to help you out. As so, much as I can, as the best that I can. <laughs> so, Carissa, it was really good to have yes. you on my first guest on my The Mindful podcast. And I hope that we could carry this conversation Thank on. Thank you for 
in the near future. Right. Um, so, guys, I'm going to end the podcast here. I hope everybody is inside. I hope everybody is safe. I hope everybody is practicing proper hygiene and social distancing. Oh, no, let me say correct. Physical distancing. All right. Um, um, no, we're, we're, saying, we're saying physical distancing. Physical distancing. I right? hope you're practicing proper <laughs> we're physical, doing the physical distancing. Physical distancing. All right. Um, and you just... Yeah. Take care, be safe, and and if if you need to reach out to any one of us, yeah, my social media links will be down in the description, as well as Carissa's as well too. So guys, be safe, take care, and have a great week. Yeah.